Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. And if Jesus is going to qualify our relationship with him, our Christianity, our following of him, if he's going to qualify it with the imagery of a road, then we have to walk through the, that, that in our brain and understand a couple dynamics. And Jesus is actually saying that this road is small and there's only a few that even find it. But I want you to understand that in, on this road, there'll be impasses. In this life of Christianity, there'll be chasms. There'll be these places where you're on that narrow road and you get to a spot and you're like, I just can't go any further because there's a chasm. The Lord has built bridges across those chasms and you and I have to cross those bridges to continue on in the path. After 30 years of full-time ministry, I can tell you hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of stories of Christians who have gotten to a certain place in their Christian walk and they go, I don't want to go any further in this. They've gotten to maybe the bridge of fear, and God's asking to pray for somebody, and they're like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I don't pray for people. And they get stuck, and what it does is impede their growth and their development in God. My friend, if you've been saved 30, 40 years, why are you not raising the dead, healing the sick, and casting out devils? Which is what Mark chapter 16 and verse 17 says that the followers of Jesus Christ will do. These signs shall follow those who believe in my name will cast out devils, will heal the sick. So what happens is we get to these bridges and say... I don't, I don't want to go any further. I'm scared to cross this place in my life. I don't know. Maybe ignorance keeps me from understanding how to even get past this. So it's my job as your pastor, as a leader in your life, a spiritual leader in your life, to help you not only identify that you're stuck on an embankment needing to keep growing and we got to cross something, but also to tell, teach you how to accomplish it. And so we've covered a number of bridges, fear, worldliness, all these different ones that we've covered so far. And today, the bridge that we're going to cover today looks like this. If you lack passion, if you lack motivation, if you feel as though you have no purpose, you more than likely are staring at the bridge of apathy. The bridge of apathy. Would you write that down today? We're going to study this bridge. Hopefully you and I will grow from this and mature in this. And today will be a day of deliverance. And today will be a day of breakthrough. Apathy based on the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, is defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Or as one psychologist put it, it's the feeling of not feeling. How many of you have been apathetic in something before? How many of you have ever had a, a, an issue maybe with apathy in a certain area? I know for me, years ago, I had this Acura Legend vehicle, this car. It was beautiful. It was a white Acura Legend. My mother-in-law had, uh, we, my, when my wife and I got married, uh, my mother-in-law had this white, beautiful Acura Legend. We drove out to our honeymoon from our wedding in this white Acura Legend. And my, years later, my mother-in-law upgraded and got a new car, and this one was paid for, so she donated it to the ministers in her family, i.e. me and Miss Jamie. <clears throat> And so, and so by the time I think she donated it to us, it was about 150,000 miles on or something. I love this car. This car was magnificent. It was the closest thing in those days as a starving, poor little minister of the gospel. It was the closest thing I had ever had to a luxury car. It had leather seats. And the seats moved back and forward. I mean, it was a big deal. And so for me, it was my moment of kind of prestige. It's a moment but not long after getting this car, 
this little red light came up on the dashboard. It said check engine. And so I looked at that light every time I turned the car on, but the car drove fine. Air condition worked, the car drove fine. Why deal with the light when the car is working just fine? Surely everything's okay. And to the day I went to get an inspection sticker renewed. And as I got to, there with the mechanics, they would not renew my inspection because they said I had a problem with emissions, that my car was giving off bad emissions. I stood behind my car. I didn't smell bad emissions. I didn't feel as though they were bad emissions. Why can you not give me one of these little stickers? But because I'm a very creative problem solver, I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy in a spot of town that had a shop. And so I went to the guy who knew a guy, and he showed me how to get to the guy who had the ability to help me get one of those stickers. I'm repenting publicly for my wickedness. I just want to go ahead and own that right here and now. So I got that new sticker. Man, that thing lasted me till the next year or the year thereafter, whenever it came due again. And by this time, this guy had been shut down. I don't know what happened to his business. And I, once again, could not pass the emissions test. By this point, there are three or four lights on my dashboard. And they have been there for two, three, maybe four years. Why fool with it? The car works just fine. At the end of the day, the mechanics told me the price it would take to fix my car so that the emissions would, would pass, so I'd have to get a new catalytic converter. It was going to be more expensive to get a catalytic converter than the value of the car. And so I thought, I still have to go to work. I have no money to get a new car. So I kept driving the car with an expired inspection sticker until finally the police pulled me over and gave me a ticket. I said, well, how much is this going to cost? He said, well, you need to get this fixed. This ticket's going to cost you about $200. I said, that's cheaper than a catalytic converter. Okay, I'm doing good. Until they pulled me over the next day for the same thing. I said, you can't give me another ticket. You gave me one yesterday. And the day after, and the day after, four days in a row, right there on Beltline, downtown Cedar Hill, the same police officer pulled me over. By the fourth time, he just waved me on. Sorry, I didn't realize it was you again. I was so apathetic about getting this thing fixed until one day God gave a solution, and that was the state of Texas decided to buy back all cars that had emission problems so that we could get new cars, and I ended up scoring a great deal. Come on, somebody. The storyline in all of this is that we all have apathy in our life in areas. We're really good about this, but we're apathetic about that. And I want to show you in Scripture the danger of you and I being apathetic in any area of our life, especially when it comes to the things of God. So let's study real quick this storyline about a man by the name of Eli in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking. If I could set the scene for you just a little bit, Eli is a priest. In these days, uh, the, the children of Israel have no kings. They are led by their judges, and for, for most part, Eli at this stage is a judge, but he's also a priest. He's a high priest, and so the children of Israel, the way their culture worked was that um, the priests would hear from God and tell them what God says, and the people would go do it, and then the people would sin, the people would come to the priest, they would make sacrifices for their sins to appease you know, the righteous decree that they needed to repent of their sins, and so there was this engagement in their culture and the way they did life. Eli actually is, he is a sixth, seventh, I think seventh, eighth generation priest after Aaron, 
uh, they're from the time of the children of Israel being slaves in Egypt and Moses and Aaron, they got set free. Uh, they went through the wilderness and Aaron is kind of the priest and every one of his lineage therefore become the priest. And, uh, and so Eli is a part of that lineage, if you will. And Eli at this point where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 2 has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Would you say that with me? Hophni and Phinehas. Don't name your kids that if you don't have to. I mean, the Lord speaks to you. You can, I guess. Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas are grown men, and they're also priests because their dad's a priest, and so therefore they're in the family business of being priests. But Hophni and Phinehas are wicked. They're vile. God finally has enough of Eli's apathy of not dealing with his sons. So let's pick up in verse 12, I believe it is. No, verse 27, excuse me. Where the man of God comes to Eli and tells him what God has to say. In verse 27, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? Verse 28, I chose your father out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest. Now he's not talking about his direct dad. He's talking about his his, his great, 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 great grandfather, if you will, down through the line. He says, and, and chose them uh, to be of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? Eli knew that his boys were wicked. He knew that they were acting wickedly. He knew that his position, his heart, his plans based on what God had created him to be were being misappropriated through his own sons. Eli was so apathetic with dealing with his own sons that you'll find out as we study this that it ended up destroying his life, his son's lives, and his grandkids and so forth and so on. The two sins that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were connected to, you need to write these down because these will change your life. These two sins that they were committed to, number one, Hophni and Phinehas were committed, number one, to greed. They were the priests. And they stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Well, every, uh, every so often the people would come and give their sacrifices. Well, the Lord had allowed that the priests, the way they, the way they financed themselves, was as, as the people gave, a portion of it was to go to the priest. Just like as you give tithes and offering, a portion of that goes to the staff, to the pastors, to the leaders of Church on the Hill. And there was an agreed upon a, 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 a portion that they should take. But what had happened is over time, Hophni and Phinehas began to take two, three, four times more than they should have been taking. Everybody say greed. greed. The second great sin that these boys were committing, and I call them boys, but they're grown men with families. The second one is sexual immorality. Write that down. And this is critical. I'll make a point here in a second. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, now Eli was very old, and he heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The reason why I want to point this out, these boys didn't just have a slip up here and there. These men didn't just have like, you know, this, uh, oops, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. These men were living in sexually deviant behavior. They were living in adulterous affairs. And not only were they doing that, they weren't doing this privately. They're doing this, according to Scripture, according to the Word, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. They are publicly being vile and perverted with the women who serve in the church, if you will. Does that sound familiar for a generation? So the ministers of the gospel, the, the, the people who stand 
in God's position of communicating to his people have two sin issues. I see this active in our season of living too. Both greed and perversion. Greed and sexual immorality, if you will. And Eli will not deal with it. He will not deal with it one bit. And let me explain to you what these boys have done. See, what they have done is they've rewrote what righteousness is supposed to look like. And so God is frustrated. God is done. And he says to him, why, how are you going to let unrighteousness happen in my house? How are you going to represent to the people that what's supposed to be holy and righteous when these men are living this way? How have you honored them more than you've honored me? See, what you don't deal with today will kill you tomorrow. What you let keep going on is sin in your life will ultimately embarrass you and humiliate you. And your apathy and not dealing with it will ultimately destroy you. And this is what God is saying. I'm done. I've let you be apathetic. I've let you deal with it, and you haven't dealt with it. So now I'm going to deal with you. And look what God says to Eli, what he actually does to him in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 31. It says, the time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your family line. Wow. Verse 32, and you will see distress in my dwelling. All, uh, although good will be done in Israel, to Israel, in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. He continues on in verse 34. And what, uh, and what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. And he continues on. He says, but I'm going to raise up a faithful I'm going to raise up a faithful priest. I'm going to raise up a faithful young man who's going to serve me, and he will replace you and your children, and your grandchildren will be replaced by him. He will repl- and then your children and your grandchildren will come to him and ask for a job. See, what you and I allow apathy to do in our life cause us to lose the destiny and purposes that God has for us. Staring at this apathy bridge, continuing in apathy and not crossing across this bridge will ultimately keep you from purpose and destiny. It was not God's plan and God's purpose for Eli's family to no longer be priest. Because of his apathy, he destroyed his destiny. I would say to you and me, how has apathy gotten in And what will it do if we're not careful? It will destroy the purpose and destiny that God has for our life. And so I want to just kind of show you a little bit, a couple thoughts on how do we get stuck on this apathy bridge? Like, how does that happen? Like, how do you and I get stuck and all of a sudden we're apathetic? No one wakes up every day and says, today I'm going to be apathetic. Today I'm going to lose my destiny. How do us do that? So how does that happen? Let me give you a couple thoughts. First thing that I've noticed over the years is that constant disappointment will cause you to become apathetic. Lord, I pray. And I prayed and it didn't happen. I tried and I tried and it still didn't work. So you know what? Whatever. Just whatever. Just, it's just, it's just going to be what it is. Come on, I've been there. I've been there. I've been apathetic in a particular area of my life. And it's because I tried and I tried and I tried. And I felt like my hand got slapped. I felt like I got pushed aside. I felt like God wasn't there. And back and forth, back and forth. And I became disappointed. And in that disappointment, I became apathetic. Some of you are in that place right now. Some of you don't even pray anymore because you prayed years ago and it didn't happen. So you're like, whatever, that doesn't work. Some of you don't even read the Bible anymore because, because you've read it a few times and, and, and it didn't really change anything. And so you just got, you've given up. You become apathetic because of disappointment. Some of you have gone through relationship after relationship and you're at that place now where you just say, I'm not even trying anymore. There's not a good man out there. They're all devils. 
There's not, there's not a good woman out there. I can't keep a marriage together. Something's broken with me or them or whatever. I'm not even going to try anymore. Apathy has set in because of disappointment. Here's the second thing that I see causes us to get stuck on this apathy bridge. You're not going to like this one, but it's true. Privilege. Privilege. See, these boys, Hophni and Phinehas, they have grown up in the ministry their whole life. Their grandfather, their great-grandfather, their great-great-grandfather, every day they go to work, their grandfather, their great-grandfather did that right there, built that right there. They've not had to work like their grandfather and their great-grandfather. They just inherited all the blessings. They didn't have to be proven by the Lord and picked out of all of the, uh, all of the Israelites in Egypt. They weren't living righteously. Their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was. But they inherit the blessings of what their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their dad and mom, how they had lived. And so as a result of that, they had this privileged attitude. They had this attitude. They were an affluenza teenager. Y'all know what that is? Do you remember that kid, Ethan Couch? Is that how you say his name? That, that, you know, lived crazy and he was the one driving drunk and killed those kids. And they, and they quote, said it was because of he was, they were so affluent that that's why he just, he just didn't have any respect for life. There's a truth to that. His mom and daddy had worked really hard and become very wealthy. And this kid had no respect for cars, for hard work, or anything like that because he was privileged. So what happens many times, especially when you see Christians who are second, third, fourth generation Christians, your mom and dad were sold out to Jesus, your grandparents were sold out to Jesus. So somehow in that process, you don't have as much respect and much honor for the things of God because you've always seen it done right. And so that's why you'll see these teenagers, these young people who after they've grown up in a house of Christians their whole life, They decide they want to go try out wickedness as they get on their own. They don't want to be told what to do anymore. I'm 16, you ain't going to tell me what to do. I want to try that, and I think you're wrong. And the reason why they do that is because the Bible says, he who's been forgiven much loveth much. Because they were raised in the goodness and and godliness, they didn't have a bunch of wickedness in their life. And so as a result, they didn't have to go fall on their face. Come on, like some of us who got on our face and said, oh God, I know you, grace, I know where I should go. I should be in hell right now, but you saved me and you've given me a new life and I'm so grateful for that. But see, sometimes the children of that person right there and the grandchildren, they don't have that same respect because they've been privileged with a mom and dad who loved you, who prayed for them every day that they got in that car who showed them the right way. And so as a result, they're apathetic. They're apathetic towards the Lord. They can become apathetic towards the things of God. And here's the third thing that I see. I see this in Scripture all the time, and that is sin will get you stuck in apathy. Sin. Eli was in sin because he allowed wickedness to prevail. He he allowed it to prevail. Can I ask you something? How long are you going to make excuses about your sin? How long are you say, well, you know, just if I would have had this and I would have had this, I wouldn't have this problem. How long, Eli, are you going to make excuses? I would imagine that, 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 that maybe he had, you know, he tried to raise these boys right, but, you know, mama gave him a hard time every time he tried to correct them. Don't whip them. That's my babies. You know, they almost didn't live. I don't know what his excuse was. But because he did not deal with sin, it destroyed them. Because he did not cut it off and say, you will not serve in the house of God. Get out right now. 
You will not live like this. You will not be like this. I stand for righteousness. I stand for God's righteousness. And because he didn't do that, that stuff was able to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow because he did not deal with sin. If you and I do not deal with sin in our life, it will grow and destroy not just us, but our children and our children's children. God cut Eli off. He cut his sons off. And he cut his grandchildren off because Eli would not deal with his own sin. He became apathetic because the moment you stop passionately crying out to God to forgive you about the sin that so easily entangles you and besets you is the moment apathy sets in and you just accept it. What sin have you and I accepted in our lives? What sin have we just said? It's not not as bad as him. It's not as bad as her. What sin have we just said? It's just okay. It's just a little thing. It's a little something God said. No. Because the more you become apathetic towards that, the more it begins to destroy purpose and destiny. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, preaching better than you're shouting back yes to me. I'll tell you that right now. See, what sin you don't deal with today will destroy your tomorrow. Apathy is the greatest enemy of your destiny. And look at me, Christian. Look at me online. All, every one of you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. There is destiny on your life. Destiny to change the world. Destiny to make a difference. There is a plan for you. This life is not about how far can I get in far, as far as my education, how many, how many uh, uh, buildings can I own, houses and homes and all this kind of This life for you and me as a believer is how many people can I introduce to the living Savior so that no one busts hell wide open when they die. That all can know that he loves them because he's died for each and every one of them and that none should be left behind. That's our purpose. No matter what we're doing for an income that's our purpose so let me give you some thoughts on how you and I can cross this apathy bridge how do we get across this thing like okay pastor I got some apathy in my life how do I get across it well let me give you a couple thoughts number one ask God to revive your heart because this is a heart issue apathy gets into your heart that's why you're passionless that's why, that's why you don't have, that's why even worshiping, you kind of, eh, didn't really like that song. Eh, I don't really, listen, I can go into kids' ministry and worship God with all my heart. I mean, I get in there, yes, yes, veggie tail, veggie tail. I mean, I get in there. I love me some Jesus. Are you with me? Say yes. But here's what happens, and that is we become passionless and apathetic, and, the, and, and that, that, that begins to, to get in, down in our heart. How can you be passionless? How can you be apathetic when the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you, Christian? When you've been promised over 7,000 promises that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, that you're the head and not the tail. How can you have a dead heart? I'll tell you why, because apathy has set in. Disappointment, sin, all these different things has caused us to become apathetic. Awaken, man of God. Wake up, woman of God. Get on past this thing. Get it back into purpose. Start living life again. Oh, God, heal my heart. Each and every one of you should go home today. Get on your face and say, God, let not my heart be hardened. He constantly uh, warns the believer throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament followers of Christ. He constantly warns, do not let your heart become hard. Do not let your heart become hard. Do not return to your first love. These are all passages of warning. Why? Because our heart directs our actions. Think about it. How can you and I be more passionate about a football team? Man, we are about, about the living Savior. Come on. That football team's not going to stand there and save you at the day of judgment. That football team's not going to step up and go, I know. I know that he was a sinner, but he belongs to me, Dad. And I died on the cross so that he doesn't have to go to that pit of hell. And Dad's going to say, 
Okay, good. All right. Whew, all right. Go on into my rest. Go on into my rest. That football team's not going to say that. They're going to be like, ah! That's going to be their state if they know not the Lord. Here's the second thing that you and I can do to cross this bridge, and that is, write this down. It's going to help you. Simplify. Everybody say simplify. You can do better than that. Say simplify. So here's the problem with purpose and destiny. We complicate it. Because somebody prophesied to you when you were 12. Yea, saith the Lord, thou will be a great one and change the world. You got three kids, a mortgage, up to your eyeballs in debt, and you're trying to figure out how am I going to be this amazing person. Some of you are so busy thinking, how am I going to get millions of followers because I'm called to be a social influencer. Can I just help you? Simplify. Let me help you with purpose. I'm going to help you with purpose. Simplify. It's this simple. Do you have children? Purpose. Purpose. Do you have a job? Purpose. Do you love Jesus with all of your heart? Purpose. Do you have coworkers who don't know Jesus? Purpose. We complicate this thing. We see purpose and destiny as some, some goal line right out. So far. Simplify. Go to work tomorrow. Love on somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Be kind to somebody. You should be driving down the road and you see somebody and so some purpose rises. That person needs to know. Excuse me. I know it's weird stuff, but on the side of the road, I just wanted to tell you. Jesus changed me. He can change you. Is there anything you need? I noticed. Are you, are you broke down? Can I help in any way? Purpose. Purpose. The reason why people are apathetic and it's destroying their purpose because it's something so far out there that they just give up. If I, listen, if I reviewed every prophecy over my life, I grew up in a church that everybody would prophesy to everybody all day long. You go in the parking lot, excuse me, I have a word for you. If I'm t- I have, ask my mom, there, there's, there's got to be hundreds. It's, it's, it's that simple about me. And every one of them is that I'm going to be great. Well, now, how do I define great? I'm going I'm to be a revivalist. How do I define that? So for years, I lived. If I wasn't speaking in front of tens of thousands overseas, then I was failing. God woke me up one day. He said, hey, buddy, it's a little more simple than that. Love your wife. Do your job, love anybody that I present around you, and that's purpose. Simplify. You with me? Say yes. Here's the third thing that I would teach you how to cross this bridge. You still there? Number three, gear up. Say that with me. Say gear up. up. Say it again. Say gear up. The other day, my wife wanted me to cut some limbs in the back here. We got a bunch of big trees, and there's too much shade. And so she said, would you cut those down? I said, yes. And I got my little shorts got my little t-shirt and I went out there to cut me some limbs that is not the right gear to climb up in a tree to cut limbs got my little handsaw out and I got up in that tree 15 feet started slipping all the inside of my leg all just raw that bark just was like sandpaper (laughs) bring that little white skin over here (laughs) scrape 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 I had the wrong gear on and then I had a chainsaw. I just didn't feel like I was apathetic. I didn't feel like 
trying to figure out how to start it today. It was being rude to me, so I just got the handsaw. And the next day, I knew that I had not properly prepared to do the job. Couldn't move this, this arm right here. It was just like, ugh. Like, you've never used me like that before. I had aches and pains and scrapes that I did not need to have, all because I didn't properly gear up. Are you with me today, Christian? You need to understand something about the battle that you're in for destiny and purpose. That there is an enemy that hates you. He hates you. The Bible says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want to help you with a little tactic that you may not understand about Satan. I learned this years ago. If he cannot keep you from being a Christian, then he wants to keep you from being full of purpose and destiny. So if he loses the fight on, all right, they're a Christian, then what I want to do is his plan. His plan is then to keep you from ever fulfilling purpose and destiny. Because it's one thing for you to be a Christian, it's another thing for you to infect and affect so many others. So if I can stop them from being effective, then ultimately they'll die out in their heart anyway, and I'll destroy them that way. So he has a plan to keep you from ever engaging in the battle. He will put so much junk on your life. Some of you right now, you are so frozen in apathy because you've been watching every video. You've been watching all the craziness. You've been listening to all this. And you hadn't ministered to one person in six weeks because you're all caught up in this thing. And Satan's going, good job, dudes. Go ahead, demon. Go. And we're all, and you don't know what to do, what to say, what side. Let me tell you what side we're on. We're on Jesus' side. We're on the side of Christ. We are reconciling men back to the Father. That's the side we're on. All men were created in his image. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. He's leveled the field. Let us go win souls and make disciples as he commanded us to do. So I want to remind you how to gear up. Can I read you some more scripture? Are you okay on time? Or do, you, do you have to leave? Are we all right? All right, let's, let me remind you a little bit of scripture here today. In Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, everybody say when. Let's say if. So that means it's going to happen. Okay, so pretending like you're not going to get in a battle with the devil uh, is stupid. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after having done everything to stand, stand there for firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet filled with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the, uh, take the helmet of salvation with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. That's why I pray in tongues a lot. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You've got to understand something. If you don't have your gear on, the enemy's going to knock you down and hurt you, and you're going to be like, I don't understand why. You are walking out of the door every day to work. You are waking up every day, and you're putting on insecurity. You're putting on fear instead of putting on faith, instead of putting on peace. Come on with me. Are you with me? Instead of putting on the word of the Lord, and that's why you're getting beat up so bad, because you have not geared up. Turn to that person next to you and say, gear up. Do it again. Say, gear up. Those at home, shout it out real loud. Throw open your front door and yell, gear up. No, don't, 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 don't do that. I don't want the police to be called at your house because they think you lost your mind. <laughs> Stop fighting naked. Gear up. Gear up. It's time. It's time to act like you have a calling and a purpose on your life. And the reason why you get apathetic is because you've gotten beat down so much. It's, I just want to get up again. 
friends of mine that have gone through chemo because of cancer. There are these moments where they just look at you and say, I, can't, I just can't do it anymore. And that's when they need us there. And I want you to know, if the enemy's been beating on you, we, your church, is here for you. Sometimes you just need somebody to hold your hand. Why do you think we do small group life? Because we ain't got nothing better to do? Because we all don't have a job or kids to worry about? Because we need each other. We're all going to have these moments where we're in spiritual chemo. We're going to have these moments where we're getting attacked from every side. We need to know our brothers and sisters are standing there and circling around us with their swords and with their shields and stopping that from destroying us. Are you with me today? Say yes. Destiny lays in the balance. Apathy is your greatest enemy to fulfilling your destiny. It's time to rise up, church. It's time to walk past apathy into the purposes of God, lest we end up like Eli and having everything taken from us because we did not deal with the apathy that was in our life. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to PO Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.